Welcome to Jedi Master's Degree. I'm Biggs. Today we're going to cover Return of the Jedi Act 2 as well as talk about the happy ending that people complain about a lot of the time for this movie. But first I want to remind you that we have an email. It's JediMastersDegree at gmail.com. Let me know what you like, what you don't like, and what you'd like to hear in Season 2. Season 1 is in the books as you listen to this, but I'm always looking ahead to future seasons. So let's start out talking about Act 2 of Return of the Jedi. Last time we left off with Yoda passing away. Now Luke comes and walks outside, sees his X-Wing being welded by R2-D2, and he tells R2-D2, I can't go alone. And he hears Obi-Wan's force go said, Yoda will always be with you. And he says, Obi-Wan? Why didn't you tell me? And Obi-Wan tells him, your father was seduced by the dark side of the force. He ceased to be Anakin Skywalker when he became Darth Vader. When that happened, the good man who was your father was destroyed. So what I told you was true, from a certain point of view. And I like that they write this in the certain point of view thing that happens where Obi-Wan tells him that the truths we cling to depend on your point of view. It's a nice little way to cover up the fact that Vader was not his father when they started writing it out, but it really does work well for the movies. And it is kind of true. Let's look at like how you see stuff in the news right now. If you listen to MSNBC, if you listen to Fox, if you listen to CNN, if you listen to NPR, if you're listening to Breitbart, you have very different points of view. Obviously, that is something that holds true. Obi-Wan tells him that Anakin was his friend. And when he first met him, his father was a great pilot and how he was amazed how strongly the force flowed through him. And so he took it upon himself to train him as a Jedi, and he thought he could instruct him just as well as Yoda. And he was wrong. And Luke says there's still good in him. He's more machine now than man, twisted and evil. And Luke says, I can't do it, Ben. And Obi-Wan tells him, you can't escape your destiny, you must face Darth Vader again. And Luke says, I can't kill my own father. And Obi-Wan kind of looks sad and says, then the Emperor has already won. He says, you are our only hope. And then Luke said, Yoda spoke of another. And so Obi-Wan tells him the other he spoke of is your twin sister. And Luke says, I have no sister. And Obi-Wan says, to protect you from the Emperor, you were hidden from your father when you were born. The Emperor knew, as did I, if Anakin were to have any offspring, they would be a threat to him. That is the reason why your sister remains safely anonymous. And Luke says, Leia. Leia's my sister. And Obi-Wan says, your insight serves you well. Bury your feelings deep down, Luke. They do you credit, but they could be made to serve the Emperor. And we get a wipe over to the spaceship where all the rebels are gathering in the meeting room. We see our first glimpse of one of my personal favorites, Admiral Akbar. And Solo takes a look at Lando Calrissian and says, hey, look at you. And he mentions he thought he was a good pilot, but he didn't know that he was crazy enough to take on the attack. And Lando says, I'm surprised they didn't ask you. And Han says, who says they didn't, but I ain't crazy. He says, you're the respectable one, remember? And Mon Mothra walks in and says, the Emperor's made a critical error and the time for our attack has come. The data brought to us by the Bothan spies pinpoint the exact location of the Emperor's new battle station. By the way, if you've never seen a Bothan, you should get a Wikipedia and look at them. They're basically dogmen. They're super crazy. So Mon Mothra then says, we also know that the weapon system of this Death Star is not yet operational. With the Imperial fleet spread out throughout the galaxy in a vain effort to engage us, it is relatively unprotected. But most of all, we've learned that the Emperor himself is personally overseeing the final stages of the construction of this Death Star. So everybody's looking really interested because it's an opportunity to knock off the head. She says, many Bothans died to bring us this information. And I know how people hate watching dogs die, so tragic. So then she says, Admiral Akbar. 
Admiral Akbar breaks down the whole plan for what to do. Basically, they need to deactivate a shield on Endor, and then they can attack the Death Star, fly into the superstructure, and knock out the main reactor. So it's a little bit different this time. Now you can fly your ship into it. He says General Calrissian has volunteered to lead the fighter attack, and Han lets him know good luck. Han kind of looks at him. Lando looks at him with his cape all glorious. And then some random rebel guy tells him that they have a cruiser that's disguised as a cargo ship and they'll have a strike team land on the moon and deactivate the shield generator and leia says sounds dangerous i wonder who they'll have pull it off and then he says general solo do you have your team together and he says uh my team's ready but but he says i don't have a command crew for the shuttle and chewy like raises his hand and he says i didn't want to speak for you and chewy enthusiastically says that he wants to go and then princess leia says you can count me in too and then luke surprises everybody by walking up and saying you can count me in as well and then leia looks at him and says what is it and he says ask me again sometime r2 beeps something and then c3po says exciting is hardly the word i would use because c3po is a wet blanket and han says that he wants lando to take the falcon and lando's telling him no but finally relents and says okay Like, I know she means something to you. Take good care of her. And Han's like, all right, I got your promise, not a scratch. And then Lando's like, will you get going, you pirate? And they wish each other good luck. Chewie doesn't like how cramped in he is in the shuttle when they get inside it. And Han tells him that I don't think they were thinking of Wookiees when they were designing it. And then Han's looking at the Falcon and saying he's got a funny feeling he's not going to see her again. She smiles and says, come on, General, let's move. And then he says, come on, Chewie, let's see what this piece of junk can do. So they fly the shuttle out, they kick into hyperspace, and then we see an exterior of the Death Star that's being built, and we see some TIE fighters flying onto the surface, and then we see the throne room of the Emperor. Darth Vader says, what's your bidding, thy master? And he says, send your fleet to the far side of Endor. There it will stay until called for. Darth Vader saying, what are the reports of the rebel fleet massing near Solast? And the Emperor saying it is of no concern. Soon the rebellion will be crushed and young Skywalker will be one of us. Your work here is finished, my friend. Go on to the command ship and await my orders. And Darth Vader says, yes, my master bows and walks off. And we get two weird looking guys that have like really big hats and that look half dead like the Emperor does. And you can see at every stage, the Emperor is just overconfident. He always is. Like in the prequels, he's ahead of the eight ball. But man, in these movies, he's just being overconfident. Everything falls to crap. So Han says, if they don't go for this, we're going to have to get out of here pretty quick, Chewie. The cruiser tells them to identify, and so they send over their codes. And while they're waiting for the code, Luke realizes that Vader's on the ship. And he tells Chewie, all right, keep your distance, but don't look like you're keeping your distance. And Chewie growls at him and goes, I don't know, fly casual. And Vader's inquiring on the ship. And he can tell something's going on. And then Luke says that I'm endangering the mission. And Hans tells him to be optimistic. And we get a really cool shot of these shuttles flying past the Death Star. Man, it must have been really hard to do that, especially when you you think of how practical everything was. But the commander's asking Vader if he wants him to do anything. And Vader's saying no, that he'll handle it. And then they tell the ship to go ahead and go through. We see Vader watching the ship go by. And I picture in his head he hears... Somewhere out there beneath the clear blue sky. You know, if Steven Spielberg had directed it, it might have happened. I mean, he did produce an American tale. Anyway, so they're on Endor and you see the troops going through. The way they're wearing camouflage and the way they're kind of lined up and ducking in the jungle thick and stuff is definitely an homage to Vietnam. 
they see some scout troopers, and so they're trying to figure out what to do with them. They can't really go around. Han sneaks up behind a scout trooper and steps on a stick and then gets smacked in the face. And the scout trooper yells at the other one to jump on the speeder bike and get help. And then Han Solo knocks the other guy out while the first scout trooper flies off on his bike. But Chewie fires his bowcaster and knocks him off the bike. And then two more scout troopers jump on their bikes. And Leia and Luke jump on that speeder bike and go to chase him. And then a scout trooper, right as Han Solo's yelling, hey, wait, goes to attack him from behind. And Han grabs his arm and knocks him over his shoulder. And basically this scene, we just see him weaving in and out of trees. Luke tells Leia to get up beside one of them. They bang each other a couple of times. Then Luke jumps onto the bike and knocks the other guy off into a tree and then takes over his bike. And then two more scout troopers see them come by and then they join in the race. They're firing at him from behind. And so he tells Leia to keep after the first one and he's going to take care of the other two. One of them just immediately crashes into a tree. Luke gets behind the other one. And then the scout trooper pulls out a blaster and fires it, hits Leia's bike, and she falls off of the bike. But then he loses track of what he's doing, and he winds up exploding into a tree. Then meanwhile, Luke's going back and forth with the other scout trooper banging into him. Luke loses his bike and pulls out his lightsaber, and right as the scout trooper's coming towards him, he deflects a couple of blasts, and then he hits the front of the speeder bike, and it spins around and hits a tree and explodes. So C-3PO and R2-D2 are looking around and they notice Luke's coming and so everybody gets in a position when they realize it's Luke and so they come out and they're really concerned because they see that Leia didn't come back. Han has the group go over to the shield generator and they go to look for Leia and of course C-3PO turns around to R2-D2 and says, and you said it was pretty here. And then we see some furry little Ewok feet, as my friend Kate Donaldson would say, it's a fat little bear, fat little bear. And of course, it's Wicket, played by Warwick Davis, and he's poking her with a stick. She pops up. She says, I'm not going to hurt you. And then she sits down on a log, and Wicket's still on guard. But then he notices Leia seems to be unarmed and not really making any advances to him. So he slowly comes over as Leia's talking to him. She bids him to sit down. She says, I promise I won't hurt you. Come here. And then so she pulls out some of her rations. And then Ewok, like any dog would, just runs over to get it. He's just like, okay. Goes and sits down and gets some food. Leia kind of moves and then Wicket jumps over to the side with the spear and is really paranoid as she's taking her hat off. And she tries to explain that it's a hat and goes to hand it to him. She says, you're a jittery little thing, aren't you? He's looking inside the hat and then he hears a noise and he starts looking around with the spear. And then a blaster comes out and they jump over the log. Wicket crawls under the log to look for it. While Leia's looking around trying to figure out who's firing at her. And then all of a sudden she's got a blaster right up to her head. Wicket's underneath. And one of the scout troopers motions the other and says, get your ride, take her back to base. And then Wicket hits the troopers with the spear. That distracts him long enough for Leia to knock him out. And she takes his gun and destroys the other scout trooper. We get a dissolved a couple of TIE fighters outside of the Death Star. We see Darth Vader walking back into the throne room, flanked by some Imperial guards. He approaches the Emperor. The Emperor tells him that he was supposed to remain on the command ship. And he says a small rebel force has landed on Endor. And the Emperor says, yes, I know. And Darth Vader says, my son is with them. And the Emperor says, are you sure? And he says, I have felt him, my master. And the Emperor says, strange that I have not. I wonder if your feelings on this matter are clear, Vader. 
And Darth Vader says, they are clear, my master. And then he says, then you must go to the sanctuary moon and wait for him. And Darth Vader says, he will come to me. And the emperor says, I have foreseen it. His compassion for you will be his undoing. He will come before you and then you will bring him before me. And Darth Vader says, as you wish. I'd like to point out for people who've already seen this movie, which, I mean, you really should watch the movie. You notice that the Emperor gets these visions and he totally believes in it. Whereas like Luke believed in his vision and it was kind of his undoing and the Empire strikes back. So you can tell that the Emperor is just so conceited and just is bought into him being a godlike figure in a way. Anyway, so we see Luke and Han, they're looking around for Leia, and they see her helmet, and R2 sensors can't find any trace of her, and so they're really concerned for her. And then Chewie runs over, and he sees an animal carcass hanging on a tree. As we know, if anybody's seen Chewie around a porg, if he sees meat, he's gonna eat it. (laughs) And so he grabs at it, and then they try and stop him, but a net swoops out and grabs them all and pulls them up. And Han says, great, Chewie, you're always thinking with your stomach. And Luke says, Han, can you reach my lightsaber? And then R2-D2 just ignores them all and cuts the rope and they all go falling down. And then we see a bunch of Ewoks. A couple of them are pretty mean looking ones, to be honest. And they're surrounding them with spears. R2-D2 looks really concerned. Well, I guess he's wobbling around all concerned. Han seems bemused by all of this. One of them puts a spear up in his face and he says, hey, point that somewhere else. Pushes it back. And then Luke's like, Han, don't, it'll be all right. They take their blasters, and then he says, Chewie, give him your crossbow. And Chewie's not happy about giving up his crossbow. C-3PO pops up and says, oh, my head. And then he says, oh, my goodness, and looks around, and all the Ewoks are seeing him and pointing at him, and they all start bowing to him. Because this is another old trope whenever you ran into natives. We talked about this in the episodes where we were talking about Splinter of the Mind's Eye and Han Solo books, but this is a common trope. You get a bunch of natives and they think that somebody is a god or they're cannibals, both of which are true in the case of the Ewoks. There's just all kinds of things that place them as being backwards. It's just a form of colonialism. And honestly, it used to be in every other thing I watched when I was a kid. I don't see it as much in stuff today. I think people are a little more aware of it. People are in writing classes anyway that are writing a lot of these screenplays. So they ask C-3PO why they're bowing and do they understand anything they're saying. And C-3PO says, oh, yes, Master Luke. Starts reminding him that he's fluent in six million forms of communication. And Han's just like, what are they saying? (laughs) And so C-3PO says they think he's some sort of god. And Han says, why don't you use your divine influence to get us out of this? And C-3PO says, I beg your pardon, General Solo, but that wouldn't be proper. And he says it's against my programming to impersonate a deity. And Han's ready to attack him. And Luke's kind of laughing. And then all the Ewoks get very mad and start mean mugging him with their spears. Han's like, my mistake, my mistake. He's an old friend of mine. So we get this circular wipe back into their village. We see him taking them up the treetops. We see him cross bridges up into their huts that are mounted onto trees. They have everybody over spits because they're going to eat them. Of course, they're going to eat them. They even have R2-D2, um, I guess, to heat it up and hope that they can eat Kenny Bake inside it. I don't know. So while we're on this little cannibalism thing, let's take a moment to talk about a big rift in the Star Wars fan base. Let's talk about that scab that's picked so much that it probably won't heal. Let's talk about the ending of Return of the Jedi. More to the point, let's talk about the happy ending of Jedi. 
Specifically, we're going to talk about the two main characters who had arcs that could have gone very sad, but instead wound up happily ever after, at least till the sequel trilogy. The characters are Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. Let's start with Han. When The Empire Strikes Back is being written, Harrison Ford wanted his character dead. This was well documented. In the 2004 documentary Empire Dreams, Ford said, I thought Han Solo should die. I thought he ought to sacrifice himself for them. He's got no mama. He's got no papa. He's got no future. He's got no story responsibilities at this point, so let's let him commit self-sacrifice. Lawrence Kasdan agreed. Here's an excerpt from a New York Times article. I was for killing him, Kasdan shared, though he also thought that the second Star Wars film, The Empire Strikes Back, didn't seem like the right spot. He figured Han would instead get the axe in the third movie, Return of the Jedi. I thought in Jedi we're closing off the trilogy, he said, and we want to lose somebody important. It would give stakes to the thing, and George did not like it. Gary Kurtz spilled to the Los Angeles Times that he liked the idea as well. We had an outline and George changed everything in it. Instead of bittersweet and poignant, he wanted a euphoric ending with everybody happy. The original idea was that they would recover Han Solo in the early part of the story, and then he would die in the middle part of the film in a raid on an Imperial base. George then decided he didn't want any of the principals killed. By that time, there was really big toy sales, and that was the reason. The departure of the outline led Gary Kurtz to leave his producer before development of Return of the Jedi got too far down the line. He has been the bugle call to war for many older Star Wars fans who didn't like Return of the Jedi. They tend to think it's too saccharine in a giant toy commercial. Ford signed on to Return of the Jedi reluctantly. He was still pushing for Solo to bite it. I thought the best utility of my character would be for him to sacrifice himself to high ideal and giving a little bottom, a little gravitas to the Enterprise. Not that there wasn't some of that already, but I wanted in on some part of that. But Han Solo lived on. There would be no tear-jerking death. Not yet, anyway. There's no doubt that his death would have been incredibly dramatic. It would have pulled the rug out from the audience. Watch Han get saved only to watch him get cut down before the Empire even fell. His romance with Leia would be cut short. Luke would have to question his decision to surrender himself to Vader instead of being there for his friend. Instead, what we get is one of the most beloved characters in all of fiction not do much of anything. He sits in a room with everyone. He gets trapped in a net with everyone. He offers a step away from Leia for Luke in an incredibly awkward moment. He takes a couple troopers hostage with everyone. He makes some wisecracks. He probably gets drunk with Ewoks. And that's it. He's also relegated to giving Lando his arc. Calrissian, a scoundrel who realized that he had to stand up against the Empire, flies the Falcon to the Death Star and defeats it. Actually, Lando does it better, because he steps into the fight at the beginning, shoots the shot that blows the whole thing up, and he does it while looking stylish in a cape. Can't do better than wearing a cape, I'm just saying. While Han's frozen in carbonite helpless, Leia gets in a bounty hunter disguise. She holds Jabba's palace hostage with a thermal detonator for 25,000 credits that she doesn't even care about. She frees him, gets in a super sexy slave outfit, and then strangles Jabba to death. Leia finds out that she's strong with the Force, as well as the sister of her romantic backup plan. And of course, she steals Han's line. I know. It's awesome that the other characters had great stories to tell in the movie, but Jedi can't help but make Han feel a little bit hollow. The script was written well before Ford had signed on, and when he did, Lucas didn't want to kill him. It seems that Kasdan and Lucas ran out of time with the script before they could give Ford something to do other than tag along, and that's too bad. Now let's talk about Luke. Luke was far from guaranteed to have a happy ending. Gary Kurtz wanted the film to end with the rebel forces shredded and Leia's trying to figure out how to be queen. Luke would leave alone, 
like Clint Eastwood in a spaghetti western. This is something we've seen in a lot of westerns, not just of the spaghetti variety either. And so since Star Wars took inspiration from Sergio Leone, it would make sense for the movie. But isn't it a little bit too tropey? Hasn't that character ending been done to death? Plus, Star Wars was built on its influences, but it's remembered for its distinct world and its operatic storylines. With the exception of The Mandalorian, no one's truly thinking of Star Wars as a western. The first draft of Jedi had Luke killing Vader and taking his mask. The Emperor then instructed him to aim the Death Star at the Rebel fleet. Instead, Luke destroys the capital planet of the Empire, had abandoned, later be officially changed to Coruscant in a Timothy Zahn novel. Now first off, let's recognize that Luke destroying a whole planet to annihilate his living quarters is a little bit too much. Think of all the life that's lost. Kevin Smith pointed out in Clerks that a lot of independent contractors lost their lives when the second Death Star was destroyed because it wasn't completed. Let's think about the fact that Coruscant wouldn't just be filled with stormtroopers. It would have firemen, plumbers, food service workers, teachers, children, Johnny Cab drivers. Wait, that's the wrong movie. Let's just agree that destroying a planet was off the table. There was, however, a lot of foreshadowing that Luke could become Vader in Return of the Jedi. The robotic hand, his preference for black clothing, how easily he goes into the dark when he's trying to do the right thing. But these elements, I would argue, work better as a false warning. Visual ticks at the viewer seat to increase the dread leading up to the end point. Because when he stares down Vader and the Emperor, it really does feel hopeless. The fleet seems like it will be lost. Palpatine knows about his friends on Endor, and two powerful Sith staring down one not-quite-Jedi who's young and inexperienced. It just doesn't seem like much of a match. Now, I understand maybe a down ending would have been better for Solo. It sure as hell was a good plot point for The Force Awakens. In fact, if you ask me, the wiser decision was for his death. I don't even think it would have really hurt toy sales, because Darth Vader was probably the most marketable toy from the series, and today he remains one of the most marketable characters in all the series. And he died. But did any potential endings for Luke really sound better for Return of the Jedi? Yoda constantly tried to get Luke to see the light, and with the Hail Mary pass to the end zone in the twilight of his life, he ultimately succeeded. He told him he would only become a Jedi by confronting his father, and he did, but not in the way we expected. Luke did it by redeeming him. One of the best villains to ever grace the screen did a heel turn on the Emperor and saved his son. And he sacrificed his life to do it. Maybe we don't see Luke walk off alone, but we do get touching scenes that will resonate with anyone who's watched a loved one fade away from the world. We see Luke trying to drag Anakin off the Death Star in vain, ultimately euthanizing him under his father's wishes. And then we see him burning his father's body, a man he hardly knew, a man he feared and hated for nearly the whole time he knew him. And despite all the complications in his relationships with him, he mourned him. Maybe Return of the Jedi isn't the ending that everyone wanted, but I don't think it was a terrible ending. It had something to say, and it had a clear vision, and it really wasn't as happy as most people would have you believe. Alright, so let's get back to the Ewoks. So Han's sitting up on a spit while C-3PO is holding court with all of them, and he says, I got a bad feeling about this. So C-3PO mentions to him that apparently... All of them are supposed to be the main course of the banquet for his dinner. And then Leia comes out with her hair braided really pretty. And she goes to run over to Han, but they hold her up with spears. And Leia tells 3PO to set them free. And so C-3PO tries to say it to him, and they ignore him and keep setting the fire. And then Luke tells him that if they don't do as you wish, you'll become angry and use your magic. And so C-3PO says it, and they all look a little bit concerned. 
but they go to light the fire and then right as they get the fire started and Han's trying to blow it out, Luke uses the force and makes C-3PO float on his throne and they all go running away. And we see a little baby Ewok look down and panic. So the Ewoks go and immediately release him. They kind of knock R2-D2 over while they're trying to release him. So he immediately shocks one. And then as it turns around to run away, he shocks it again in its butt. And Leia kisses Han. C-3PO gets lowered down. And he ain't like floating one bit. Wicket walks up to R2-D2 to kind of take a look at him. And so C-3PO is telling their story. They realize that they're creating a myth through movies. And so they're having characters in the movie tell their story as a myth. It's just a nice little meta moment that I like. So at the end of the story, the Ewoks decide that they're part of the tribe. And Han's like, great, that's what I always wanted. And Luke goes to duck out, looking really upset. Leia notices him duck out and goes to follow him. C-3PO tells Han that they're going to tell him where the shield generator is. Han says, good, how far is it? Ask him. C-3PO starts to turn around. And then Han tells him that we need some fresh supplies too. So C-3PO turns back around to talk to him, then starts to flip back around again. And Han says, try to get our weapon back. And C-3PO flips around again. He says, hurry up, will you? And we see Leia approach Luke on the bridge. He says, Leia, do you remember your mother, your real mother? And she says, just a little bit. She died when I was very young. And Luke says, what do you remember? And she says, images, really, just feelings. And he says, tell me. And Leia says she was very beautiful, kind, but sad. And she says, why are you asking me this? And Luke says, I have no memory of my mother. I never knew her. And Leia says, Luke, what's troubling you? And he says, Vader is here now on this moon. And she says, how do you know? And he says, I felt his presence. He can feel when I'm near. That's why I have to go. As long as I stay here, I'm endangering the group and our mission here. I have to face him. And she says, why? And Luke says, he's my father. And she looks shocked by that. And she says, your father? And he says, there's more. It won't be easy for you to hear it, but you must. If I don't make it back, you're the only hope for the Alliance. And she says, Luke, don't talk that way. You have a power I don't understand I could never have. And he says, you're wrong, Leia. You have that power too. In time, you'll learn to use it as I have. And he says, the force is strong with my family. My father has it. I have it. And my sister has it. And looks right at her to let her know we can't kiss anymore. That was for you, Producer Fett. Jedi really is the worst. You gonna turn that blaster on yourself? I don't get paid for that. So Leia realizes that she knew and somehow she always knew, which, you know, makes it creepy. You're so judgmental, Biggs. What's creepy about it? Do you have a sister? No, I always wanted one. Stop talking right now. So Leia's telling him not to fight him. If he can feel your presence, just leave. And so Luke's telling her that he has to face him and that there's good in him and that he won't turn him over to the Emperor and he can turn him back to the good side. And he says, I have to try. I really like this too because he's wrong. Like, it's still a youth thing and the hopefulness he's wrong. But, you know, he kind of succeeds too. So it's not totally terrible, but it's not out of character for Luke being wrong. Han comes walking up and he says, hey, what's going on? And Leia's like, nothing, I just want to be alone for a little while. Han's looking, he's like, nothing. He's like, come on, tell me what's going on. And she starts to cry, and she says, I can't tell you. Which, like, I don't know why she can't tell him. (laughs) Why? But he's like, but you could tell Luke? And so she turns around and starts crying again. 
Han turns around and this is a really good moment for Ford. He just turns around, he apologizes, and you really feel the weight of it with Han. He's not happy about it, but he's really matured. He's not blowing his top all the time. She says, hold me, and so he puts his arms around her, but I really like that moment. And so we get a dissolve to the Death Star, and we see the shuttle coming and landing on a little airstrip. And meanwhile, there's an AT-AT in the corner of the frame walking by. Darth Vader comes walking out with some stormtroopers staying by his shuttle. And Luke comes through, and he's got a bunch of stormtroopers and a commander with him. And they say that he denies that there's any rebels in the area. He's armed only with this and hands Darth Vader his lightsaber. Darth Vader says, good work, Commander. Leave us, conduct your search, and bring his companions to me. And he says, yes, my lord. You can feel it all through this movie with the exception of the very first scene with Vader. From then on, you can feel Vader softened. He really is. You can see the conflict when he's trying to deal with his son. You can tell there's this little spark of love that he has for him. And it's really difficult. And so Darth Vader says, the Emperor has been expecting you. And Luke says, I know, Father. And Darth Vader says, so you've accepted the truth. And he says, I've accepted the truth that you were once Anakin Skywalker, my father. And Darth Vader gets pissed and turns to the side and says, that name no longer means anything to me. And he says, it's the name of your true self you've just forgotten. He says, I know there's good in you. The Emperor hasn't driven it from you fully. And he says, that's why you couldn't destroy me. That's why you won't bring me to your Emperor now. And Darth Vader looks at the lightsaber for a second and ignites it. I see you've constructed a new lightsaber. He says, your skills are complete. Indeed, you are powerful as the Emperor has foreseen. And Luke says, come with me. And Darth Vader says, Obi-Wan once thought as you do. You don't know the power of the dark side. Right? Trying to tempt him one more time. But then he says, I must obey my master. He's got that little bit of hesitation there. And Luke says, I will not turn. You'll be forced to kill me. Darth Vader coldly says, if that's your destiny. And he says, search your feelings, father. You can't do this. I feel the conflict within you. Let go of your hate. And he says, it's too late for me, son. And... Something I really like about this is he parrots something that his father said to him in Empire Strikes Back, right? Like, as he's telling Luke in this horrible moment for Luke that he's his father, Luke brings this back to him, but in a loving way. He says the same words, search your feelings. And then Darth Vader laments, it's too late for me. It's a warning, but it's also the sadness in him because he knows he was a good person and he feels like he can't overcome this now. This is his destiny. He can't overcome it and he needs to bring his son into it. So then he tries to cover it up and he says the Emperor will show you the true nature of the Force. He is your master now. And Luke just gives a slow nod and says that my father is truly dead. You can see the conflict with Darth Vader. And look, David Prowse, I know he's the body and people try and shortchange him sometimes for that, but there's a lot of acting with that and you can see it with him. Even within that suit, the way he walks over, just the slight nod of his head as he's looking off and clearly staring off into space, he feels every little piece of that. So we see Chewie and Han and Leia and a bunch of rebel troopers are behind a log. C-3PO, of course, is not being careful and they watch the Imperial shuttle fly off. And they find out that the main entrance to the control bunker is over there. Han's saying it won't be a problem. Me and Chewie have gotten into places heavier guarded than this. And then C-3PO is telling him that there's a secret entrance on the other side of the ridge. And we cut to seeing the Millennium Falcon and a bunch of X-Wing flying through the fleet of the Rebel Alliance. 
Everybody gets into position. We see Admiral Akbar with this chair commanding everybody, kind of flying around. And then we've got that crazy looking alien that's got the leatherhead helmet and the, I don't even know how to describe his cheeks, but the black eyes too. And he's worried that they're not going to have the shield generator in time. And Lando's telling him, don't worry, my friends will get it. And then he says, or this will be the shortest offensive of all time. So Akbar commands them to go out. They all jump into hyperspace. And we cut back to seeing Han sneaking up to the base with an Ewok. They see there's only a couple of guards. It shouldn't be too much trouble. Leia says it only takes one to sound the alarm. He says then we'll do it real quiet-like. And then C-3PO gets concerned and starts to try and get their attention. And she covers his mouth. He says, I'm afraid our furry companion has gone off and done something rather rash. And so this Ewok crawls over and gets on the speeder bike. And the troopers are like, look over there, stop him. And he just goes flying off in the speeder bike. And three of them jump on to chase him. And the fourth one just kind of runs up. And we see the Ewok is just flying off of the speeder bike. And then he kind of manages to sit on it properly. And they hit the side of it. And he goes spinning. But the Ewok manages to maintain control. And then he sees a vine, leaps onto it, and swings up. And then Han comes up behind the trooper. Pats him on the shoulder and the guy goes, hey, and runs after. And then you just see all these rebels holding him hostage. And then so we see Chewie and Han and a couple of rebels with Leia right behind them come walking into the base. And then we see a wipe back to the Death Star again. And so this is a good place to cut this episode. Join us next week when we talk about Return of the Jedi Act 3 and the reception it got. May the Force be with you. We have so many shows on the Not Safer Network. Download the entire first season of the show Not Afraid of the Star Wars fan base, but maybe it should be? Jedi Master's Degree. Two movies enter and only one movie leaves. Listen to Box Office Battle. Learn the history of television one show at a time with the podcast In Syndication. Music, anime, pop culture, movies, TV show, and the random babbling of two dudes who need to find something better to do. Check out A Feast of Geeks. The podcast that's perfectly described with its title, Movies with Wrestlers. And download the entire first season of the radio drama about a serial killer ripped from the pages of a hundred-year-old cookbook, A Thousand Ways to Please a Husband.